What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and I am thrilled to bring on a very, very special guest today. He is a member of our community. His name is Dr. Bo, and he reached out to me proactively to discuss our topic today. And the least I could do was to lend him the platform to amplify his voice as a Black dentist in our community. I'm so grateful that he and so many others have given me the opportunity and grace to learn about racial issues that so deeply impact our fellow community members, honestly, in ways I can't even begin to understand. So Dr. Bo, thank you first and foremost for letting me be a facilitator of this very important conversation. And our platform will continue to amplify other voices from communities of color going forward. Before we get into the show with Dr. Bo, here's a quick message from today's sponsor. And our sponsor is MedEvolve, a company that empowers physician practices to work smarter with data-driven services. So if you're tired of all the headaches like finding and retaining quality billing staff, high turnover, and having limited resources, many practices are opting to outsource all or part of their billing process to help relieve the burden on internal staff, free up their resources, and reduce overhead costs. For those that want to keep their billing in-house, it's critical to have solutions that provide automation and give you the ability to monitor staff's productivity as well as their effectiveness, especially for remote employees. And MedEvolve can help you leverage the data and AI solutions that are bringing those answers to the forefront so you can take out the guesswork out of the revenue cycle management. So let them show you how. It's a great company that can help you work smarter, reduce your costs to collect, and honestly get you paid on time. So check them out. You can find them at drpodcastnetwork.com slash medevolve. That's M-E-D-E-V-O-L-V-E. And the link is also in the description of this show. Now, without further ado, let's jump in and talk to Dr. Bo. Dr. Bo, welcome to the show, man. Really, really honored to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's a pleasure. Well, I am thrilled because we did a show and it was like in late May or early June and I'd come out and kind of just acknowledged what was going on in light of all the recent events. And you sent me an email and I loved every second of it. And I'm so thrilled that you accepted the offer to come in and tell your story, what's going on and and really help everyone in our community understand what's going on. So you had emailed and part of the email I want to read was you wanted to ask me if and encourage the audience to ask those minorities and blacks around us how we can learn to be more tolerant and understanding of their situations. You said you believe the biggest hurdle to us progressing and actually having more than a meaningful dialogue is to ask questions and help each other become better. And then you said, thank you for all you do. And I want to say thank you for sending me this email. And I want all of us to be better humans. So why don't you just, I think, start with by telling us a little bit about you and your situation and your background and where you live. And we can go from there and unpack the message that really needs to be talked about and said and really help our community come together as, as one. Thanks for having me on the show. I just want to thank you and for all that you do with Financial Residency and the Money Meets Medicine podcast. So thank you for all that. It's really helped me over the last probably a year and a half, get my financial ducks in a row. But kind of how I came across this, and I want to be clear because I do not know everything, and I obviously don't speak for everybody. These are just my experiences that I've had 
you know, take it with a grain of salt, just like with everything that you preach and you tell us, this is not financial advice. This is for entertainment purposes. And hopefully we can implement some of these things in our lives and make us a little better. But I'm just a person who wants to be better, mainly for the generation that comes after me. I'm in my early 30s. I'm 32, Black, African-American, true African-American. I was born in South Africa, came to the States and settled here when I was in high school. My family ended up in uh, Deming, New Mexico. If anybody knows where that is, I'm very impressed because that is a small farming community in Southern New Mexico. My mom was a nurse. African parents, minority parents always wanted their kids to be doctors, lawyers, professionals who, quote unquote, make a lot of money. And I thought that for my whole life, I was going to be a doctor, ended up by being a dentist, which is much better, but whatever. I went to uh, high school down there, went to a junior college because I still considered an international student and got the opportunity to continue playing football in college. Went on a religious mission, then transferred up to the University of Utah, finished my undergrad education. So that was really interesting, got a taste of different cultures throughout my early teenage years and went to LSE for dental school, which is by hands the greatest place to live, New Orleans. If anybody ever has a chance to go there, please, please, please do yourself a favor and enjoy the atmosphere, the people, the food. It's great. But I I really enjoyed it. And we had some kids along the way. We have three kids currently. And that's kind of where this whole thing has touched home with me because I want my kids to know that their father, their parent is trying to be better and be more educated about the issues that are going on. And it's very easy to really put my head in the sand and work towards my goals, whether financial, spiritual, physical, right? We all need to lose a little weight. I've heard you talk about it, right? But it's really hard to step back and see what else is going around us. And so this was when financial residency and I heard your message on the podcast and as little as you think it may have been really struck home with me. And I was so impressed because I do listen to a lot of podcasts just to take a few steps back. The way that I met you was through the white coat investor. I listened to a lot of his podcasts early on in my career. We started a dental practice here in New Mexico that took a while to get going. And those first few months, anybody who's ever started a business, probably like you, you're in your office and you're looking at material online, trying to figure out how to grow your business, but also mainly as a new professional, try to get my ducks in a row. Graduating from dental school with $425,000 in debt, which is not relatively uncommon these days, it was, was something that I didn't know how to tackle. Watching YouTube videos, podcasts, listening to those, that really helped me try to get things going. And along the way, found you through Jim Dolly and the White Coat Investor. So that was really great. I watched YouTube videos, like I said. There's this guy on YouTube who was talking about doing the repay option and then having a tax bomb at the end of 25 years and then paying that. And I was all for it because I was thinking to myself, hey, maybe my loans will get forgiven. I may not have to pay this tax bomb, but I'd be saving money along the way. But through some really good opportunities that present themselves, half the time it's being in the right place at the right time and knowing when to work with that opportunity. I call that good luck. We all depend on it uh, or karma, whatever it is. I was able to relatively grow my practice and also have opportunities to buy into another one and then sell partnerships to be able to get quite a big chunk of change and pay off those student loans. Anyways, fast forward to, like I said, your podcast and trying to get this message out there is how I'm trying to do my part to become better educated because I think 
Um, the problem with us as people, the less we know, the less we can do. Because I didn't know about certain things about whether I was going to get public loan forgiveness or whatever. If I didn't know about that, I wouldn't have explored options in order to try to get my financial ducks in a row. And so same thing with this. If we don't take time to really see what we can do out there to help our communities, then obviously we're not going to be able to do much of an impact or help those who are around us. Yeah. So for those listening, how can we really help our communities? How can we make impact? What are some of the things that you would like the community to know and be able to better all of ourselves as humans to make this a much better, friendlier, united front? That's a great question. And it's different for everybody. For me, what has worked, I'm a very outgoing person. I don't want to toot my own horn saying I do this, that, and the other. But in my practice, I have the opportunity to have two other partners. And we all practice dentistry to the best of our abilities. I don't think anybody could look at our work and say, hey, I changed this out of the other. Dentists have a way of picking at each other's work. But anyways, that's a different story. But we all have different ways of talking to our patients. And for me, I feel like as a young person, I have a lot of older patients who I have to establish rapport with. Otherwise, they may not trust or understand the treatment that I'm prescribing for them. So let's do different conversations and trying to find a middle ground, whether it's sports, whether it's local issues, whether it's family. I love talking about my kids and my wife, which people generally are drawn to. But along those same lines, during this whole time of either civil unrest or the election period, some certain topics have come up. And that's allowed for me to be able to pick other people's minds and get to know what their thought process is and what's going on in the community. I'm fortunate enough to have a few state representatives who are my patients, and I've asked them different options as to what I can do in the community. And basically, it comes down to communication, just asking people. I think the what retards growth really is lack of people talking with each other, asking them, what is that head wrap that you're wearing? I have some Muslim patients, and I have no idea about why they wear certain clothes. And maybe they may think that I'm weird that I'm asking them, but I do ask questions. I love uncomfortable conversations. Uh, my wife hates it that I ask questions whenever we're together, but I do ask questions and it really does help get dialogue, open up dialogue. And so people can tell that I'm generally wanting to know more. Yeah. We get it often in our community. Hey, I don't want to ask this question because I'll feel dumb. And I'm like, there's no such thing as a dumb question. It's just dumb not to ask it. And that I think holds true across everything in life. I typically talk about finance. And one of the things you'd mentioned in part of our email exchange and in some of the notes we had is that you wrote down like, why is it so hard to talk to others, specifically more successful white people? And so I'm curious if maybe you can go into that. And I think that'll help shed some light into asking questions and talking and opening lines of communication. It's tough because we all don't want to not get credit for the hard work that we've done. We all work hard at our craft. You are excellent at financial consulting, and I'm trying to become a better dentist, a better father. And so it's hard to take a step back and say, hey, Maybe because I got here with the help of some other people. I will tell you right now, I'm not the person that I am today by myself. I got good grades in college because I had people who were on my side, who were my cheerleaders helping me get there. I don't think I'm smarter than 
90% of the people that were in college. I think that maybe I worked hard, but I worked hard because I had help from other people who were pushing me. I talked to advisors. We all went the extra mile to get to where we are. But it's hard to give credit to other people around us for having helped us get there. Whenever we talk about being successful, I think I'm pretty successful. I'm a successful Black man. I make good money raising my kids to be hopefully good people and to help others. My wife, she's excellent. But as a person who wants to be better, it's hard for me to say that I got here on my own. And I think that's a problem with a lot of us that we see a lot of the actions that we make. And maybe this is not where you're wanting to go, but we see all the hard work that we put in. And then for somebody to tell us, hey, we got here with the help of other people. It's hard to hear sometimes. Whenever it's hard for people to acknowledge that, it's not your fault. And I alluded to it. It's not your fault that you were born a lighter shade or a darker shade. It's not your fault that you were born on the south side or the north side of the tracks. It's not your fault. You've made the most of the opportunities that you've had. And for the people on the other side of that coin, there's plenty of people who have not had those same opportunities or that same help that we've had. It's not their fault that they didn't go to executive schools as we did. It's not their fault that they didn't have aspirations or they didn't have people on their sides to be their cheerleaders. And it's hard for us to acknowledge that sometimes. But the biggest thing that I have found is that whenever we have these conversations, people tend to feel guilty. And my point and the point of people who generally want better change is not to make you feel guilty, it's to try to help us open our eyes to see that maybe it's not all those people's fault. And it's not the fact that everybody's lazy and doesn't work as hard as we do. There are other circumstances that have forced them into that situation, whether by their choosing or the choosing of other people around them. And these are just small differences. And I think whenever people have had all hard decisions and not these cheerleaders around them, it makes it hard for them to come up and be as successful as we are. There's actions that we can do. And one of the actions is talking. And I think actions also speak louder than words and things that we could do. I'd like to maybe start with, and as you mentioned, communication is so important. And that's why I really wanted to have this dialogue together so you can help really all of us in our community acknowledge, but also have an open line of communication and go through. So maybe tell us some of the things that we could do to talk with those around us, or maybe it's some of the things that you've done on your end to have these conversations that aren't happening, but should happen. So it's pretty interesting. Whenever we all have consciences, we all know when something doesn't sound right. It doesn't look right. My mother-in-law's name is Karen, so I'm going to preface by saying that I love Karen, but there's memes about Karens in this world, right? YouTube videos. Whenever you see a Karen in public making a scene, I'm not one to go tell Karen to shut the hell up or to show some respect, but those are teaching opportunities, especially when I'm with my kids, that uh, don't mistreat other people. This is what we do. And maybe if somebody has been hurt, it's our chance to console those people and help them realize that maybe somebody's having a bad day. Maybe that person who just, you know, unloaded the hell that came out of their mouth is just having a bad day. And maybe the fact that you didn't give them a straw with their drink just toppled all the dominoes from the day. But it's really incumbent upon us to teach our kids and those people around us that behavior like that is not correct. Whether it's being rude, whether it's being 
racist, whether it's being condescending, those are teaching opportunities, especially to our kids and those around us. Me and my partners go out to dinner before this whole COVID thing began at least once a month. And we talk about different things, mainly about the business, how we can better put systems in place to run it. But the thing that struck me around the same time, one of my partners just asked me, you know, what can I do? And I was dumbfounded. So this whole entire time we talked about teaching our kids books to read. We are also inundated with a lot of information. We have goals that we've set for ourselves to pay off student loans, to pay off our homes, to build our retirement nest egg, to get that doctor house, which I don't believe in a doctor house, but that's a different story for a different day. But we have all these goals and it's hard to add another layer asking you to read another book when you know you have your book that just came out. This is a plug for your book right here. We have all these goals and we have all these metrics that we've set up for ourselves and to try to add something more major. I'm not asking you to campaign. It's for other people's causes. Just to be aware about them. See whether or not you can donate some of your time. Money's a great resource, but I think our time is worth a lot more than that. I've said it before. Time is our most precious resource. It's the most valuable resource we have. And a lot of the times, even when we were going through training and we were very fortunate of what we were doing and where we were and everything, but we didn't still have a lot of money, but we had time. And so we've donated more time than money. That to me, I think is something different. But one piece that you said is, you know, if someone unloads and you use the straw example, it doesn't matter, at least in my opinion, like what it was to set someone off. Like being a sexist or a racist is never okay, no matter what bad day you're having or not having, at least sitting on this side of the table in my shoes, right? And that's how I'm using the filter of what I see. That's never okay. And we do see that and we do teach our kids and try to teach our kids. And there are people out there that will never put themselves into someone else's shoes. And it's unfortunate, but I think that those are very, very small percentage. And I think a lot of the population wants us and knows that we should be united, that we're all the same. We're all brothers and sisters and we all need to help each other out. And some just don't know where to start or how to start that conversation or what some of the actions they can do, or just maybe even say, Hey, I'm sympathetic to this, but it maybe isn't enough. And so I'm just curious, is there other things or how can we learn from others? What to ask, what to do. So let me give you an example. I called the boys and girls club to see if there's a way that I can donate some of my time, because I know in my community, there's a few locations. During this COVID time, it's really hard to do that. So they weren't accepting any volunteers, but they directed me to a site where I can donate 50, 100, 200, 500, whatever, donate money to their cause. I believe that is a worthwhile opportunity for us to be able to donate to local communities. Now, I don't know how well money is received with the Boys and Girls Club. I can't sit here and tell you that they are a great organization, what they do. I know when I grew up, my outlet was sports. My outlet was Boy Scouts, which that's a whole different story with itself now. But those were my outlets, and that's where I feel comfortable. And so whenever uh, we get back, whenever our governor lifts some mandates for us, I will be able to donate my time again with going to help with football practice down the road with the local high school. Back in down school, they talked to us, and we had the opportunity to go into lower income neighborhoods. If you can imagine, our dental school was in New Orleans. We had the opportunity to go to school, show kids how to use a toothbrush, things like that. It starts off with just getting involved in the community because 
we can see how other people are living. And if we can see how other people are living, we can see that we can do some things. We can be an example, be a mentor to somebody. We can't change the world overnight, and especially by ourselves, but you can change somebody's world and go from there. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's 5,000 people listening right now. And if we all can make one or two actions a month to make this a better place, that's hundreds of thousands of actions over the course of the year, just from a small community like this. And this is why I think it is so important because as you put it to me in our writing here, like we're all busy. We need to educate ourselves on our America, right? Not just a white one, but a black one as well. And for all minorities, to be honest. And so I think this is just so needed and so critical. And that's why I was so honored that you wanted to come share it. So do you have any other things that we would like to, I know we could unpack this for hours, but are there other pieces that we really need to get out and to be heard to our community so we can make the most maximum impact that we possibly can? Yes. And I think I had recommended some books and I'll take that back a little bit because I think I've read quite a few books this year. I had a lot of extra time to educate myself. Having been born in South Africa, we had apartheid, apartheid, governmental segregation, which ended in the early 90s. I mean, most of us were in grade school, anywhere from elementary to high school during that time. So if you can imagine having lived through a segregation period and then now being dealing with those consequences as time goes on, it's still pretty raw. But the thing that South Africa did, for better or worse, they had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission where people came together and they talked things out. They Everybody unloaded their burdens and say, hey, this is what we did. And that communication helped with the healing. And I think the problem, not the only problem, but one of the issues that we face is that we haven't been able to communicate and get past that. Whether not for us to be able to be aware of things that happened, we have to educate ourselves with books. Like I said, read books, but more importantly, talk to those around us. If we can make a goal of talking to somebody that we've never talked to before, asking somebody about the hair. I heard something on the news about how Albuquerque is going to change statute about employers and minorities or women's hair, something interesting. So asking people these types of questions about what's going on in the community and also how their local traditions has affected them and helped them become the person that they are. One of the things that I look at is most, I don't want to speak for just our community, just most of America only gets their news from one or two sources, right? From the media, which is probably the worst thing that we could do as a nation is to listen to the media. But are there other people, sources, things that we could be, and you mentioned a few books, but as in, please say them on air if you know the books that you've read that are great, that would help us understand more and to have us as a community, as a nation, heal together and grow together. But is there other things besides books that might really be supportive in opening the lines of communication? So when it comes to books, the first book that was recommended to me early this year was a book called White Fragility, and it was sold out forever on Amazon. I know whenever Black Lives Matter started, that became a, a huge talking point. And I like that book. It's very raw. So if you read that book, I'm not saying take things with a grain of salt, but prepare to not be very comfortable. The other one was stamped from the beginning. So I finished the audio book and I'm reading again right now. And it's helping me appreciate the world from a Black person who's lived in America and grown up in America. And it goes through the history of why some things are, why there's redlining, why Black people or minorities generally are stuck in urban areas and why they're there, how that came to be. 
and maybe some of the problems that they're facing to get out of there. Sometimes we say we got here by lacing up our boots and getting to work. But some people, he says, don't have those boots or don't even know where to get those boots from. So reading those two books this year helped me appreciate the American history portion of minorities and Black people. In some of those books, they go against capitalism, which I'm still trying to deal with that. The fine line between socialism, capitalism, helping others and making as much money as I can and providing for me, my family, and hopefully my kids that come after me. And so that's a tough thing. But just reading it and getting that dialogue and everything started has helped me kind of appreciate things. Now, as far as uh, media, Joe Rogan does a great job with having an unbiased view on a lot of things. He's very crude, but he brings on people from both sides of the aisle, which he'll let them ramble on. So it's really hard to tell people where to navigate to without giving you my biased opinion, but always look for both sides of the story because I can listen to CNN all day and then have one viewpoint and then I can turn to Fox News and then have a different viewpoint. So listening to different people and not just swallowing the media propaganda, let's put on a tinfoil hats and go from there. Yeah. And part of the thing, as you're saying this, I come from one point of view and I know my point of view. I know where I sit on these things, but I don't necessarily have the ability to sit on other different viewpoints and other things without having those biases and knowing, is this right? Is this wrong? Trying to figure out just where I can get more high quality information and then I can spread more high quality information to everyone else. And this is why I was so thrilled that you would donate your time, come on, talk with us, help us understand how we can just be better as a community. So is there anything else that we maybe have left out that, because I know we talked a little bit, we exchanged some emails. I want to make sure that we hit every point that, and well, we can't hit every point. We've been here for 14 days talking out everything you'd fall asleep before we could, but anything else to put it into, to encourage the audience to really take control and, and to have better lines of communication. I don't want my kids to learn about sex from TikTok or YouTube. I don't want my kids to learn about racial issues from other people other than verified sources that I believe are correct or give a true view of what's going on. And so I don't ever want to get to the point where my kid is asking me about something that I haven't prepared for. So I try to have those conversations with my kids and help them walk through it. There's a show that I used to love watching when I was younger. It's called Family Matters. And for some reason, my kids like watching that too. Carl Winslow and Steve Urkel. But there are these shows and there are opportunities for me to teach. There was one episode where somebody had written the N-word over Laura's locker. If you don't remember who Laura is, she's Carl Winslow's daughter, Steve Urkel's crush for life. Anyways, wrote a derogatory word on her locker. And my kids don't know what that word is because I don't use that word in our house. And so it was a great teaching opportunity for me. It would have been very easy to just gloss that over and say, hey, maybe whenever they're 10 or 12, I can talk to them about it. But I was just planting that little seed. We don't say words like that. We don't call other people names. If we don't understand something, we ask and we try to create that dialogue with them. Same thing goes for us. As adults, sometimes we get so embarrassed or cringy moments. And so we, we just have to take that opportunity to find out more. And whether that's talking with people, reading books, whatever. Yeah. People can, can always ask me. If I don't have an answer, I will more than happily research it, just like you say you do. You know, you'll research it and kind of find out what to do. 
yeah, there's so much that I don't know that I can understand finance pretty well, but there's intricate questions that get asked. And sometimes I'm not the best resource, but I can go find it, source it and do it. And I love that's your philosophy there. And it's something that when we're kids, we have no shame, right? There's no embarrassment. There's nothing. It's just, I don't understand this. So I'm going to ask this. And maybe they ask it sometimes in, in the most awkward and not opportune times versus wait two minutes later and then ask. But the idea that we lose that somehow in our adult lives, we become dry and boring, but we also lose that child's spirit of like just being inquisitive. Let me tell you a quick story about that. Yeah. I talk to my kids about money. They, they do chores around the house. Today's Thursday. So every Thursday they get 25 cents each for taking out the garbage. And so they know that when I go to work, I go to make money. And I tell them, I go to work to make money to provide for the family. And it just so happened to be that they came to bring me lunch or my wife had a braces appointment, something. And as I was leaving with the family, we're in the lobby and my son asked me, Daddy, did you get your money for the day? And you have a lobby full of patients, <laughs> a weird moment. People are looking at me. I'm the doctor leaving the office. Did I just get the money for the day? I had open dialogue with my kids about money. It just so happened to be that it was a weird position. When you got to the car, I was like, yes, we, we got money, but you don't need to talk to other people about it. <laughs> I love it. That would be totally my son, by the way. Just like room full of people and he'll say like something just totally out of line. Just like, I love you. <laughs> But that conversation could have been like, yeah, similar to how you take out the trash and you go to work. Today, I went to work and I helped a lot of people with their teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I love the money and talking with the kids and getting them to understand. I mean, they like to learn and listen. And whereas others, including my wife, are like, oh, again. <laughs> yes. Yes. The wife. There's always one partner who's not very excited about money. We talk about that there's a household CFO and, and usually... That is the non-physician, mostly just because of timing. They're just working a ton and it's hard to have that time. Sometimes it is the physician and the significant other doesn't like it. It's very different, but usually there is one in the household that is that. So I love that you're teaching your kids about money too. I think that's a cool way to round this out is just kids are sponges. It's neat. And I'm really happy that you're doing that and that the show has been helpful to you in understanding a little bit more about your personal finances. And I really, again, want to thank you for your time. I know it's hard to get connected and have time for things like this, where this isn't part of your practice. There's no monetary benefit for this, but you donated your time to help the whole community become better. I really, truly appreciate that. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate the work that you guys put in and helping us become better. Dr. Bo, thank you again for letting me be a facilitator of the conversation. And I really, really appreciate you reaching out and being a part of our community. So as we transition to our curbside consult, an anonymous question came in. Let's hear what she has to say. Hey, Ryan, I love the podcast and I love all the work that you are doing. Thank you so much for all of the education and resources that you put out. My question is about how to think about saving for a down payment. We currently save over 25% of our net pay, but part of that 25% is going towards a house down payment fund. So our goal is to put down 20% and with a goal of saving 100K sometime in the next six months, we have about 60% of that saved already. So I'm just trying to get some advice on if we're thinking about that correctly or if we should not be like including the down payment money in that 
I guess my thought is that we would be taking on less debt by putting more down payment on a house. Yeah, that's my rationale for including and the 25% that we're saving. We're currently saving over 25% of our net pay and over 40% of our gross pay when you consider like all of our retirement and HSA and all that good stuff, all that savings. Would love to hear your thoughts on how to think about this. And thanks again for all of your work. I love you too. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of our community. And I love the rationale and I love how you're thinking through this. Most people would not even be thinking through this. And I love how you are really tackling this. And I think you guys are doing an awesome job. So I want to state that kind of upfront. Technically, I wouldn't include the down payment savings for a house in that 25% of kind of net savings as I think that money should be going to things that positively impact your net worth. And so the reason that we get to this 25%, which I think you're using based on what you know we've really talked about here is our 50-25-25 strategy where 50% of your take-home pay, so if you had $10,000 at the bank, for all of you listening, every pay period, that 5,000 of that or 50% would go to fixed expenses, things like student debt, it might be rent or mortgage, pretty much unfund things. 25% would go to variable costs. That would be your shopping. That would be your other entertainment expenses, that kind of thing. But that is also future expenses that are fun. So if you're saving for a vacation, that technically would have been in that 25% variable bucket. And then the last piece is the 25%. I kind of joke and call this the pay yourself first bucket. And this is where you're trying to positively impact your net worth. This would go to things like your IRAs, a taxable account, paying more money on your student debt, or honestly, any other type of debt that you have. Now, one could argue that by putting extra money down payment on a home, that is in fact paying down debt because since you didn't take on the extra debt, but at what cost is how I'd push this back. I'm looking at the physician mortgages in specific. And if you're looking for a mortgage, go to financialresidency.com slash home loan. And there is a list of every single bank by state. We have done lots of research and laid it all out there for you. So you can pick wherever state you're at in all 50 states, and it will show you every single bank that will lend to a physician and, and give qualified rates, special rates, special programs. The list is extensive. So again, check out your state, financialresidency.com slash home loan. But with physician mortgages that are low to honestly no money down, for a tiny fraction, usually it's an eighth of a percent higher in interest rate and no PMI, that's not a bad option. And if you now have other debts, or you're not saving for anything else. I would look at the difference of balancing between 20% down and having no additional money for investments versus putting a lower balance down. And again, be conservative here. Don't just because the bank will give you a million dollar loan. Don't go take out a million dollars. But having a lower balance, being able to invest a bunch more money and not having that down payment fully paid together and hitting that 20% down. And this would allow you to help fuel your investments, really the asset side of your balance sheet while being responsible with debt. And that's the key here is being responsible with debt. Then after that's done, you could start paying off the, the debt on the home using the funds from the 25% savings and do it over time. And the reason is because it's at historically low interest rates. That's truly the key to why I'm saying this. With interest rates being so low, this is why this comes to mind. Because if interest rates were 6% or more, then saving the 20% down or even 5% or more, saving the 20% down would make 
a lot more sense. Now, rates have never been lower than really what they are right now. And as long as you're responsible with debt, it might not be a bad option. This is not specific advice. Personal finance is personal. And you really didn't actually tell us how much of your savings per month, that 25% net savings was actually the down payment savings. So if I look at it and say 20 to 25% or pretty much all of that is your down payment savings, then your let's say it was 20%, then I think that's too much and that your true savings rate would be 5%. But if you said out of the 25% net take-home pay that we're saving, 5% of that has been allocated to our down payment fund, then I think it's a really fair assumption. You're likely saving a bunch more money. You're investing. You've paid off debts. You're doing all the right stuff. You've got a good game plan. I think what you laid out is a very fair assumption. So that's probably the key missing piece to being able to provide a little more clarity around that. But if you're saving 5% of that 25% as your down payment, I think you're spot on with what you're looking at doing. But I would also give some consideration to a physician mortgage with little to no money down if that can help accelerate the asset column and being able to invest quite a bit of money into your IRAs, your taxable accounts, you're already maxing out all your other retirement accounts. That is, I think, a good consideration considering how low interest rates are. Now, for those of you that maybe are joining us two years from now into the future, hello, but interest rates are likely not going to be at historic lows. They could be still, but maybe not. And this wouldn't make sense. But for right now, in today's interest rate environment, that might be an option. But again, please be responsible if you are going to borrow any money at all. Don't listen to what the bank has to say when they tell you how much you could effectively borrow. Be careful because they'd like you to borrow as much as you possibly can, but that's not always the best thing for your finances. And now it's time for our financial malpractice. And I've brought John McCarthy, our partner at Physician Tax Advisors, back on the show to give us some financial horror story with taxes and always the most fun. John makes it a little more fun. Let's hear what he has for us today. John, welcome back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Of course, this is going to be fun. So what horror story, malpractice, terrible, awful, this basically sounds like just tax in general, but what do you have for us specifically? All right. We have a true story today. One of our clients, um, this was actually a psychology group. It was based out in New York and they got a visit from the New York State employment tax group um, a couple years into their practice. And it's somewhat common in the psychology group area where we often see independent contractor versus employee classification issues. What we find is a lot of groups have gotten away with maybe classifying that their employees as independent contractors for a long period of time and the word gets around and then everybody thinks it's okay. The reality is the IRS and especially the state authorities are very particular in this area because looking at it from their viewpoint, there's a lot of tax dollars at stake here. So they have a lot of incentive to audit these particular areas. Before we get too much into the facts of this case, let's talk a little bit about maybe what independent contractors and, and employees classification, what the issue is here. As independent contractors, the employer can just pay a gross amount out. It doesn't have to withhold taxes, right? So that's great for the owner because they don't have a lot of employment tax liability. And that means all of the onus for paying those taxes ends up with the independent contractor that's working for them. Now, on the state side, as well as the IRS, they're worried here that the taxes won't 
get paid eventually. And also the states specifically are worried about unemployment taxes not getting paid at all. So the states have a lot of incentive on these classification issues. And their viewpoint is that if these workers are fundamental to the business, they should be classified as employees in a lot of cases. Now, there's a lot of technical thought that goes through this because this is not a black and white area. So one of the things I would advise on is do some reading on your own on this if you're a business owner or contact your tax advisor for more details on this because there's really just a lot of case law that's behind this and not a lot of black and white rules and regulations. But in this case, going back to our psychology group here, the state auditors ended up going back for a three-year period and reclassifying all of the independent contractors as employees. And you would hope that things might be equitable in this case. And they would say, oh, you're independent contractors. They probably paid their own taxes. So we'll give you credit for that. It's not how it works. The states come in and they will generally assess the full amount of whatever the withholding should have been and all the unemployment taxes against the owner. And there's no offset for that. You're just footing the bill. And in this case, the state's getting double the taxes probably because all of your independent contractors probably paid their taxes on time as well, but they don't care. It ended up being quite a mess for this particular client. A lot of additional tax liability, interest penalties, a lot of amended returns and a lot of heartache and sleepless nights probably as they were going through it. Yeah, it doesn't sound fun, but it also sounds extremely expensive as you're going through that. And I'm just like, oh, oh, this sounds horrible. I knew where it was going. This is like a train wreck in slow motion. Uh, so what can we learn from this? Obviously, you give us some good breakout between employees and independent contractors, but what can we take away from this? Yeah, I think anytime you are hiring an individual and not a firm, your ears should perk up as a business owner and say, somewhere I heard this could be an issue. And you want to be really clear. That's not to say that there are never independent contractors that you'll hire and that you can pay in that, that way, because there are ways that you can do that legally. So it's not to scare you away from ever hiring an independent contractor, but you also want to know what their job description looks like, how much control you have over their output or what they're providing to your, your company and have that documented somewhere because that's what the IRS is going to come back and look for when they are auditing this area. Yeah. Great advice, John. Thanks for coming back on. We appreciate you. And uh, for those of you who don't know, John, he's been on the show a bunch of times. He's a partner at Physician Tax Advisors, but John, it's always good hanging. Thanks, man. Well, it's always fun doing these financial malpractice segments. And now we're moving over here to our community update. And I wanted to give you guys a heads up that we have about 80 articles, give or take a few, but we have a bunch that have been written that are going to be coming out on financialresidency.com over the next month or so. And honestly, I went on a writing spree and our team's on an editing spree and we're busting out a ton of content for all of you. And really, I think what we're doing as I have talked through it to myself here is we're transitioning the financial residency website to not feel like a traditional blog, but to feel like a giant free financial residency. See what I'm doing? All right. I'm cheesy. I get it. But we're going to turn it over to have modules and feel more like you're going through training and learning about finance than you are reading a traditional blog that's pushing out a bunch of content. And the idea here really is I've broken out like 14 different kind of pillars that I'd like you to all learn about. And inside of each pillar, there's anywhere from four to eight articles that are really in-depth, 
well-written articles that I deep dive into a specific topic. And so you can learn everything about that one topic in that specific post. And some of the articles are a few thousand words, which is a traditional longer blog post. But some of my articles are over 20,000 words. It's like reading a quarter of a book on the subject. Some of our student debt posts are quite long. There's even one with a bunch of charts and graphs with updated info on all sorts of stuff happening in the student debt market. And I was able to actually do a lot of this by pre-recording some of the podcasts that are going to be coming out and then getting a transcription and doing a detailed edit from the transcription. And then, of course, adding a ton of examples, going deeper into some of the explanations. So even though we might be doing a podcast on it, you might hear it there probably is considerable more amount of information on the blog itself to deep dive into that specific topic. And I really can't wait to share this all with you guys. It's a lot of work. It's been fun. It's what I've been doing on my my downtime, so to speak. And we're just starting to add it to the site. It's not going to be fully ready by the time you're hearing this, but I want to give you guys a heads up that it's coming and is going to be super super powerful for all of you to really deep dive into specific topics. And if I'm missing anything, if there's something that, you know, in the next month or so that has come out, you see it's out there, but it's missing something, please send me an email. I'm happy to go in and add some more content into these posts. But this will be massive deep dives into specific topics versus scattered across a thousand different posts. It's, it's going to be pretty amazing. And as we close out the show, I want to again say thank you so much, Dr. Bo, for coming on the show and really letting me be a facilitator of the important conversations that we're having. Before we end, also don't forget to reach out to MedEvolve, which is our sponsor for today. And for those of us who know how hard it is to build and maintain a sustainable business, understand that bringing the right help to achieve our goals is really important. So get in touch with them for data-driven analytics, workflow automations, and medical billing technology and services by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash medevolve. That's M-E-D-E-V-O-L-V-E. And get going down that right path. I've made sure that their link is in the description of the podcast player you're listening to me right now in. So check them out. And without further ado, Wyatt, my little man, take away the disclaimer on why you shouldn't be listening to me. All right, everyone, have a great week, and I will see you on Friday. Cheers. This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.